Hey everyone, welcome to Rolling Hills Online. Wherever you are in the world, we're glad that you're joining us today. In addition to our online campus, we have two physical locations in Franklin and Nolensville. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you in person. If this is your first time joining us, we would like to invite you to check out our new here page at rollinghillscommunity.org. Here, you can find out more about who we are, what we believe, and what to expect when worshiping with us. If you've been with us before and want to find out how to get involved, please visit our Next Steps page. This is where you can learn more about baptism, partnership, missions, community groups, and more. If you're joining us live, we encourage you to jump into our chat. This is a great way to connect with our online community and further discuss today's message. In addition to the chat feature, you will find today's sermon notes and a link to the Bible so that you can follow along. Have something that you would like for us to pray with you about? Click the prayer request link at the bottom of the page. We would be honored to join you in prayer this week. If you feel called to partner with us financially, you can give online through the giving page of our website. Your support allows us to continue this opportunity to share the message of Christ around the world. So thank you. Again, welcome to Rolling Hills. We hope that you feel at home. morning church good morning man what a great morning of worship already God's doing so many amazing things here at Rolling Hills I love it I love seeing God move and God work and it's, it's been just an amazing journey wow uh, last week we had close to 20 babies dedicated to the Lord and we got the Father Son Bowl coming up and seeing so many people accepting Christ and being baptized and lives being changed and we're a part of something way bigger than us right we're a part of something that only God can do and the fun part is we get to do that together now this morning we come to the conclusion of our trail guide series. Hopefully you have one of these trail guides It looks like this. And maybe you've received one throughout the series. If you haven't, I'd love for you to pick one up at some point. Because this is our discipleship process here at Rolling Hills. And this is what we're talking about. See, salvation happens in an instant. But sanctification takes a lifetime. Do you realize that God has a goal for your life? God's goal for your life is not heaven, Right? So a lot of times we think the goal, the goal is heaven. Heaven's the reward. God's goal for your life is to be conformed to the image of his son. That you and I are called to look more and more like Jesus every single day. Romans 8, 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So you and I are on a journey. It is a process. And God is doing something in us. And he is molding us to look more and more like Jesus. So we said, right, that the trail guide begins with this first marker, identify with Christ. And if you're looking at your trail guide, there's kind of four markers. And we've talked about it. Like if you go to college and they say, hey, you take 101 classes and 201, 301, and 401. This is kind of your pathway to graduation. Here at Rolling Hills, we're saying we want to help you become a fully mature disciple. And here are some markers. And identify with Christ as God draws you to himself and you place your faith and your trust in a sovereign God who has the best for you. You give your life to Christ as God works in your heart and that's salvation. But it doesn't end there, right? You don't pray and ask Christ to come in your life and God takes you straight to heaven. You continue to grow in your faith. And so for many of us, the next step may be for you to identify with Christ in baptism. 
And baptism is you're dying to your old way of life and you're being raised to walk a new life, just what Jesus has done. And we have baptism information classes for children, students, and adults, but it is a huge step of obedience. And then maybe church partnership, locking arms with other believers, sharing life together, saying, hey, we're in this thing, we're committed. You know, not just dating the church, but hey, we're in a committed relationship. So identify with Christ. The second week we talked about this, grow in faith. Grow in faith. Move from being a spiritual child to a spiritual young man to a spiritual father. There is a maturation process that should take place in your spiritual life. And to grow in your faith, there's some ways that we can help you. It takes place in community. Now, we said Jesus called 12 disciples, right? He shared life in community. And so you need a community group. You need a small group Bible study. You need some other place where iron sharpens iron. You're sharing life with other believers. Also, spiritual disciplines. Prayer, Bible study, these are going to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. Download the Rolling Hills app. There's a daily step to take right there. You know, every day, today was Joshua chapter 1. I read that and I was like, yeah, you know, it says be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that good news? Wherever you go, God is with you. Also, we have discipleship classes. We call it the Rolling Hills Trail. And so Wednesday nights are busting up here at Rolling Hills. I mean, there's men's group, there's women's groups, there's Bible studies that are happening, there's children and students, people growing in the Lord. There's six-week classes, eight-week classes, 12-week classes, but to help you grow. The third week, last week, Pastor Nick did a great job talking about share the mission. Share the mission. And kind of that third marker is when you and I begin to serve, right? And, And Jesus said this. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, if anybody should be served, it's Jesus. But Jesus, I've set an example for you. And you and I grow spiritually when we begin to give back. When we begin to pour into others. So that's why we talk about worship one, serve one. Worship one hour, serve one hour. Figure out a way where you can use your gifts. And we've got so many talented people. I mean, a lot of our musicians, man, they'll be on the road all week, and then they come, and they volunteer their time to lead us in worship, get here at 6.30, set up, and then lead us. And that's their service. A lot of children and students, a lot of them are teachers. They teach during the week, and they're like teacher of the year, but they're coming here on Sunday, volunteering their time to pour and teach the gospel, and I love that. I love it. I love it. And so giving generously. And then today, we're looking at this fourth marker, and it's just multiply your life multiply your life. And I'm excited about this today. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to Acts. Acts chapter 1. New Testament, right? Right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. We're just going to look at one verse this morning. But these are the very last words of Jesus on this earth. And that's pretty important, right? And so Luke, who wrote Acts. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of volume one, talks all about Jesus, his miracles, his mission, and everything he did, his death, burial, his resurrection for us. And then volume two is Acts. And Acts is the story of the early church and what happened there in the early church. But Acts chapter one, we have Jesus and he's with his disciples. There's 11 now. Judas is out of the picture, so there's only 11. And he brings them together, and he's on the Mount of Olives, and he looks them in the eye, and he says these words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And then it says in verse 9, right, after he said this, he was taken up from their sight. I mean, he like took the express elevator, boom, straight up there, you know, straight to heaven. And he went away. But the very last words he said to his disciples should ring for us, this is important. I mean, you think about the last words you would say to your family, to your friends, if you just knew, man, this is it. These are the last words. You would pour it out. You would say, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. And Jesus looks at them and he says, what? But you, guys, you 11 that I've poured into you will receive power. Now for those guys, they're looking at Jesus and they're going, we want that, right? I mean, that is power. We saw you, Jesus, crucified on a cross. And the Romans, man, they knew how to kill people, right? We, we saw you crucified. We saw you dead. We saw you put into a tomb. And now we're looking at you and you are alive. And that is power. Jesus, you can conquer death. How awesome is that? And when Jesus came in the cross, the resurrection shows us this. Jesus came not to make bad people good, but Jesus came to make dead people alive. When we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, God made us alive in Christ. And the disciples are like, yeah, this power, right? We want to see you do miracles. We've watched the things happen. You got, you raised the dead. We see power, but you will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit comes on you. Now in Acts chapter 2, right right after this, all the disciples are gathered together. There's about 120 believers at this time. And in Acts chapter 2 opens with the Holy Spirit descending upon them, tongues of fire. And the Holy Spirit comes and all of a sudden, man, they've got the same power that was at work through Jesus. You know what's amazing, though, to think about? Is that you and I, when we respond to Christ, as God draws us to himself and we step over that line and we become a follower of Jesus, you know what the Bible says? God places his Holy Spirit in us. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is alive in us. The same power that did miracles back in the Bible days is the same power that God wants to do through us. It is the power of God in us. And yet so many Christians live sheepishly. So many of us, we kind of fall back and we acquiesce to the world. When God's saying, no, you step up and you step out because the power of God is in you. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then notice what he tells them. And you will be my witnesses. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. What is a witness? A witness, if you go to the dictionary, is somebody who simply gives a firsthand account of what they've heard, of what they've seen, or what they experienced, right? That's what a witness does. Hey, I, got, I don't know how it all happened. I can't tell you the physics behind it. I can't tell you anything. I just know this is what happened to me, and I just want to be a witness to it. A lot of people, when they hear this word witness, they kind of cringe, right? And they're like, I don't know, you know, sharing my faith, you know, talking about Jesus. I mean, come on, we're in a post-Christian era, you know, like, I'm going to hold back. I don't know if I'm going to do that. But what's interesting is that, hey, Jesus didn't call us to be his defense attorney, you know. We don't argue people in the kingdom. We don't debate with people. I mean, Jesus just said, be a witness. Go out and just tell people what, what I've done in your life. Go out and talk about the things that you've seen me do. Go out and just share the grace that you've received. You go be a witness. 
It's amazing how we could talk to anybody about sports, right? We, we can talk to anybody about a game we watch. We can talk to anybody about shopping, or we can talk to anybody about a great restaurant. We could post all day long about this and this food and how I felt when I ate there. And yeah, we can do that. But a lot of times when it comes to just being a witness for Christ, we're like, I don't know. And we disqualify ourselves, don't we? We say, well, you know what? I, I've made mistakes. I've messed up. I'm not perfect. Well, here's the secret. God doesn't use perfect people. You know why? Because there aren't any. <laughs> There's just not. Right? I mean, Jesus was the only perfect person who ever lived. And God just says, hey, you be a witness. In fact, out of your mistakes, many times is where I do the greatest ministry. Because everybody's fighting a battle. And everybody's facing a struggle. And everybody's looking for hope. And everybody's looking for help. And everybody's looking for truth. And all I'm asking you to do is just say, hey, let me point you to the one who impacted me. Let me point you to the one who transformed me. Let me share with you what God's done in my life. I'm just going to be a witness. And in the process of that, God impacts lives. God does an amazing work. See, here's something that's so freeing when it comes to talking about being a witness. It's not our job to save people. It's not our job to convict people. You know what? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Our job is just simply to be a witness. Jesus called me to be a witness. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to tell what God's done in me. And in the process, the Holy Spirit works in their life. And the Holy Spirit brings hope, and the Holy Spirit brings help, and the Holy Spirit is the one who changes a heart and a life. And he says, hey, you just be a witness. Now, some people will come along, and they'll say, well, my faith is private. You ever heard that? Right? My faith is private. And you're like, well, that's not Christianity. And aren't you thankful for the people who've gone before us? Because if everybody would have said, hey, my faith is private, we wouldn't know. I mean, somebody invested in us. Somebody took us to church. Somebody sat down with us at Starbucks and had a conversation about Jesus. Somebody saw where our life was headed and said, hey, listen, you got to know there is purpose and there is peace and there is hope that could come in Christ. Somebody talked to us about Jesus and now Jesus is going, you're my disciples now. You go be a witness. And then he gives us the model, the pattern. He says, hey, guys, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, for them, this was kind of their home base. This is where they were doing. This is where they were right there. Mission starts at home. Mission starts at home. If you're a parent here today, man, God has called you to disciple your children. And that's not something you outsource. That's not something you advocate. That's not something you just kind of go, I'm going to push that to the side. That, that's something you step into and embrace. And God's called you. If you're a grandparent, man, you've got to generations that are looking to you. If you are an aunt or an uncle, hey, listen, it starts at home. It starts with us having spiritual conversations right there at home. And it's amazing, again, how we'll talk to our kids about homework, and we'll talk to our kids about sports, and we'll talk to our kids about the latest movies. But do we really engage and say, hey, let me talk to you about what's eternal. <laughs> you know, long after this game is over, there's going to be another game, and there's going to be something. But, but, but listen, this is, this is going to impact your eternity is what happens spiritually. Let me help you develop like a, a foundation in faith. Let me, let me help you develop something that's going to be with you for the rest of your life and into eternity. Let me talk to you about spiritual things. 
And instead of stepping back and letting other people do that, we have to be people who just say, we've received power and the Holy Spirit came upon us. And we're not perfect, but man, I'm going to step into this and I just want to share with you. Maybe for you it's just praying, praying in your house, praying with your spouse, praying with your kids. But it starts there. And then the church comes alongside us. And I love what God's doing here at Rolling Hills. Man, I love, I mean, children ministry, student ministry, preschool. It's just amazing because our kids are getting a foundation of the Lord. And it's so important that our kids are here on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. That they're growing in the Lord and they're having that foundation. But it's not just the church's responsibility. It's our responsibility as a parent. And the church comes alongside us. But it's talking to my kids, it's talking to my family, it's saying, hey, let me, let me just share with you what God's doing in my life today. And I haven't gotten it all figured out, and I'm not perfect, but listen, I want to tell you, God is at work. And I've been through some messes, and I've made some mistakes, and I want to help you avoid those, but I want to help point you to Jesus. <laughs> so in Jerusalem, right, it starts there. And then he says in Judea. Now, Judea is kind of their region. For us, it would be Middle Tennessee. You know, it's right here. That's local missions. That's, that's local opportunities to be involved and invested and to serve. And I love what God's doing. I mean, you have so many opportunities. And whether it's the Father's Sun Bowl next weekend or this past Friday, I had the opportunity to be with Steve Norris and 413 Strong. It's incredible what God's doing in the lives of these young men in Nashville. And it's just awesome. Or it's the PATH project that's happening. Or it's Saturday Serves. Or there's all kinds of ways. But for all of us just to look around and say, hey, there's people in my neighborhood. There's people in my workplace. God put me here for a reason. And if I'm not a witness for Christ here, who's going to be? See, maybe God put you in your neighborhood not just because you got a good deal in your house or in your apartment or your condo. Maybe God put you there because there's people around you that you can love. And you can offer grace. And you can take a meal when somebody's sick. And you can step into that gap. And you can pray with them or pray for them. And I think God just says, hey, you're not responsible for how they respond. All you do is just be a witness. You love. And then he says Samaria. Now, Samaria was a part of Palestine, but Samaria was kind of a different culture, okay? I mean, like the Jews really didn't like the Samaritans, even though they were kind of descendants and the Samaritans had intermarried. And so the Jews would literally, if they were going from Galilee to Jerusalem, they would walk around Samaria, but not Jesus. <laughs> not Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he would go right through Samaria and he's like meeting people along the way. He's healing people. He's, you know, he's there in Samaria and he has a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. And the first person that he revealed himself to as the Messiah was a woman and a Samaritan woman. See, I look at that as national missions. I look at that as looking at the United States and saying, hey, there's different cultures within the United States. Hey, West Coast people, they aren't exactly like East Coast people. East Coast people aren't exactly like Northerners. Northerners aren't exactly like Southerners. Hey, there's a whole different culture happening down in New Orleans. But God's called us to be people who pray and people who love and people who reach out in our Samaria and Judea and Jerusalem. In two months, we'll have a mission trip that'll go to New Orleans. And maybe God's calling you saying, hey, go. We have other mission trips that are happening all around. We have a group that goes to Washington, D.C. and serves. We have opportunities to pray for our nation. When I was a senior in high school, I went on my first mission trip. 
And I got to tell you, being a senior, I was, I was scared. I was like, man, you know, we were going, we got on a plane, we flew out to the West Coast area, and we worked in a small church there. And I got there, and I mean, it was a different culture. You know, I was in Texas, and it was different. I'm meeting people, and, and all of a sudden, we connected. And there were believers out there. There was just like this joy. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is awesome. And you hear all these stereotypes. And then you get out and you meet people. And you see people who just love the Lord. And we were working in this little church. And we were doing a vacation Bible school. Some of you have been there. You've done that. And, and God started bringing people. And the first night we had a little bit of people. And the next night we had more people. And then the next night more. And it was busting at the seams the last night. And I left there, and I thought, you know, man, that was an awesome week, and maybe God was teaching me more, you know, about following him and trusting him and, and how to love people. And I didn't know what was going to happen from that trip. But 10 years later, 10 years later, I'm sitting in my office, and this guy walks in my office, and he looks at me, and he says, hey, do you remember me? That's always a loaded question, okay? You know, you're realizing, do you remember? Yeah, you know, you look yeah, you know, you're running your head, this mentally trying to figure out who they are. And he looks at me and he goes, My name's James. He said, You, your church, you guys came and did a mission trip in 1986 in my church. He said, It's been 10 years, and I just want to tell you what God's done since then. He said, our youth group had never dropped below 50. He said, I just graduated seminary. There's two other guys who are going to seminary. He said, God just did a revival there. And he goes, I'm sure you, you never even knew about it or heard about it, but I want to tell you, man, I just wanted to say thank you for coming. I was like, only God, man, I'm a high school kid. I don't know, but God was moving and God was working, and I just got to be a part of that. It's like you get a front row seat. You get to watch God do what only God can do. And then he, Jesus says to him, he says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, Right? And they're kind of going, okay, we get that at home, we get that locally, we get that nationally. And then he says, and to the ends of the earth. And I bet these disciples are looking at each other like going, ends of the earth? We're fishermen. <laughs> I mean, we go from Galilee to Jerusalem, that's it. We've never even been outside of this. How are we going to go to the ends of the earth? And God's going, just watch. You follow me. You trust me. You watch as the gospel spreads out. Some of you, some of you, I mean, you've always said, man, there's no way I'll ever go on a mission trip, right? You know, but God is going, hold on. You just wait. You don't have a clue what's about to happen. When God called us to play at Rolling Hills, we had 15 people. And yet God said, hey, go to this country of Moldova. And we had no idea even where Moldova is. You know, like Moldova, we're looking on a globe, trying to find it. And God said, go. And eight months later, we took 18 people. And we went to Moldova, and we fell in love with it. And now today, church, you, many of you, you're sponsoring children there through Justice and Mercy International. You've been going on mission trips there, and you've been watching God just multiply your life. Because these kids that we first met when they were six and seven and eight and nine-year-old kids in the orphanage, you know what? Those are the kids in our transitional living home today that are going back into the orphanages, and they're sharing the love of Christ with their own people. And they're the ones saying, hey, I was like you, and I was here, and I was scared, and I was worried, I was afraid. And then some people came and told me about Jesus. And my life has never been the same, and here I am, I'm coming back, and I want you to know about Jesus. And I want you to know some of the dangers that are out there with the sex slave trade. And I want you to understand that, and I want you to be protected, because God loves you. In church, that's us. And whether it's in Moldova or whether it's in the Amazon or whether it's in South Africa where we have teams going all those different places this year, 
Church, God is doing something bigger than we could have ever dreamed. And it's only him. And God's just saying, you go and be a witness. You go and you love. You go and offer grace. You go and don't just sit back and settle for some comfortable Christianity. You get involved with what I'm doing. And you'll see miracles unfold. In your home, locally, nationally, internationally, you follow me. Now, I think there's three factors that keep us from being a witness. I think there's three things that hold us back. I think the number one, I call it the Moses factor. And the Moses factor is this, excuses. Excuses. You remember Exodus chapter 3, when, when God appears to Moses in this burning bush, and the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up, and Moses is like, that's a little weird. I don't understand that, but I'll go over there and check it out. And God speaks to Moses through the bush and says, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, no way, God. <laughs> it can't be me. I mean, God, look, I mean, send somebody else, God. I mean, I don't know enough, God. You know, God, listen, I'm not a great speaker, right? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. God, send somebody else, and we make excuses. You ever done that? I've done that, right? God, are you sure? God, I don't know. But what if we grow in our faith and mature in our faith so that when God calls us, we have immediate obedience? When God prompts our heart, we say, yes. Because what if Moses would have finally just said, God, forget it, I'm not going to do it. Moses would have died and we would have never heard from him. God would have accomplished his work. God is sovereign. He would have found somebody. He would have accomplished his work. But don't you think Moses is like, yes, I listened to God and God did, wow. I can't even tell you what God did because it's so huge. Man, there were like these 10 plagues. It was amazing. They're dialing the blood. I mean, it was incredible. And I think sometimes we miss out on that because we're holding back and making excuses. I think the second factor is this, is the Jonah factor. And the Jonah factor is just disobedience. And God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to be a witness for me there. And Jonah's like, yeah, no way, God. And he gets on a boat headed the opposite direction. Like totally disobedient, like no possible way. So God has to get his attention, right? Big fish swallows Jonah, spits him up on the shore. Jonah finally gets the message and he goes to Nineveh. He's not happy about it at all, but he goes to Nineveh. And what does God do? He brings revival in Nineveh. I mean, here's a guy who doesn't even want to be there. And yet he starts to speak and God speaks through him, the power of the Holy Spirit working there. And the whole city repents. I think a lot of people settle for convenient Christianity. God, I'll follow you as long as it's my agenda, God. And I want to have you along just for some support, some backup. But God, it's really my agenda. And God's going, no, no, no. I want you to get on my agenda. I want you to follow me. And I want you to trust me. When I prompt your heart, and man, there's a spiritual conversation, and maybe you're worried, you're afraid, you step into it. Or maybe you send that text, or you send that email, or you pray that prayer with your spouse. You with the people around you, and you just say, hey, let me just tell you what God's doing in my life. And I don't have all the answers, but I just want to be obedient. Here's the third factor. I think it's this, the Israelite factor. And, and I think this is fear. Fear. And so many of us, man, we, we become slaves, as we sang about earlier, we become slaves to fear. And yet God is going, no, you walk by faith. When the Israelites come out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they look over to the promised land and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And God says, go. 
And they say, no, we're afraid. And God's going, but I delivered you from Pharaoh. He had a huge army and you were slaves. And they're like, yeah, but we're afraid. And how many of us, we look back at our life and we can see how God has answered prayer after prayer after prayer. And God is saying, go, go, go forward with me, walk with me. And we're like, oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Three months ago, we stood in that wilderness where the Israelites were for 40 years. And I want you to watch this right here. standing here in the wilderness of Israel. This is down in the Negev, and uh, right over here is Mount Sinai, where the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, God met them, and God said, I want to be your God, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. And then God told them, I've got this land for you. It's beautiful. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Trust me. Follow me. Journey with me. And so they came to this point, and they, they camped here at Kadesh Barina, and we know this through Scripture, and, and yet they, instead of trusting God and going into the promised land, they said, what if we send some spies to check it out? What if we, we're not sure if God's going to deliver? So, so they sent 12 spies into the land. And, and these 12 spies came back, and two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, let's go. We don't want to stay in the desert. Let's go. And, and 10 of the spies said, can't do it. There are giants in the land. They will, they will kill us. There's no way we can make it. And the whole community listened to those 10 spies. And instead of trusting God, instead of listening and having faith to go forward, they decided to stay here. So for 40 years, they wandered around this place, this desert right here. Now our group is on a biblical study tour. We've just walked this and for two hours, we're all sweaty. <laughs> Can't imagine living here. But you know, the incredible part is this, that God even took care of his people in the midst of the desert. God provided manna for them. God provided water from rocks. God sustained his people in the middle of the desert. But God didn't create his people to live in the desert. God had called his people to live in the promised land. And so after 40 years, an entire unbelieving generation died off and there were two that were left, Joshua and Caleb. Those <laughs> two of those spies who believed God and they trusted. And finally, after that whole unbelieving generation died off, a new generation came up that said, we're gonna follow, we're gonna trust. And Joshua led them right over this canyon and into the promised land. Guys, I want to tell you, you can spend your life here. You can let your life be ruled by fear. And you can stay in the desert. But God is calling you to a journey of faith. And God is calling you to a journey of promise. And God's saying, I'm going to do measurably more in your life. I'm going to do something great in your life. Follow me. Trust me. And so as this new year approaches, I want to encourage you. Take a next step of faith. Step out of the journey. Something that you believed was impossible, but yet you knew God was calling you to it. Follow him. I don't know what that is for you, but I know this, that God wants to do something great in your life. Don't live this life in fear and stay in the desert. Live a life of faith and watch God deliver on every promise that he's made. Our God is faithful and he loves you. I love that, Joshua and Caleb, you know, and I think God's looking for people like that who say, we're gonna go forward, we're gonna walk, we're gonna trust, we're gonna follow. You know, the apostle Paul, when he meets Jesus in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus and he has this salvation experience and, and it wasn't the end for Paul right his name was changed from Saul to Paul and he began to to be a missionary 
He, he made tents in order to have enough money so that he could do missions and, and he could serve. And he, he built up the church. He encouraged the church. But all of a sudden, his whole life changed. And it wasn't just, hey, I accepted Christ and that's it. I'm going to go to heaven one day. It's what difference could I make here for the glory of God? How can I invest what God's given to me for his name and his glory? And here's this guy. He wasn't like on staff at a church somewhere. He's like, man, raising money and support. And he's going out and he's pouring into other people like Timothy and Titus and Silas and these guys. And they're planting churches. And the legacy that's been passed on to us. See, I believe with all my heart, it, God uses, it's, it's not... Pastors, a lot of times we think of well, those professional people. They can be witnesses for Christ. That's what they do. But no, it's, it's everyday people. It's disciples who are fishermen. It's, it's people who just say, hey, God, use me. And I believe God's going to change the world through business people and through teachers and through stay-at-home moms and through musicians and through people who just say, I'm going to be a witness for Christ wherever God calls me to go. The thing you have to know about discipleship, right? Discipleship is not just about information. And a lot of times we regulate discipleship and we say, hey, if I just, you know, if I have more information, more information, more information, information is important. But Jesus, some of his harshest words were for the Pharisees who had a lot of information. But it's not just about information and it's not just about behavior modification. There's a lot of good people out there who are far from God. And it's important to be strong morally and ethically, but, but discipleship is about life transformation. It's about meeting with God each day and allowing our lives to be transformed and then pouring in to others for the glory of God. Recently, I was with a group of my friends from college. We had a big group of guys and girls that all hung out in college together and uh, there was one of the girls that was a friend of ours and our senior year, um, she was assaulted. And it was tough. I gotta tell you, we had college students, we'd never walked through that, but we walked with her, went to the trial and the guy was convicted 20 years in prison. And, but I kind of watched as her life spun a little out of control. And she married a guy that none of us knew and she moved off to a different place and so recently, we were all back together, and I said, you know, what happened? And she said, after all the trial and all that, she said, I really looked at my life, and I thought, I'm just damaged goods. Those were her words. She said, I thought I was damaged goods. And so the first guy that came along, I said, yes. And we got married, and it lasted about two years, and it was terrible. It was horrible. She said, I went off, and I got an MBA and I was just thinking I could just make money and I'll just put my head down. And one day I looked up and I remember it was all about Jesus. And I broke down and I just recommitted my life to Christ. And I said, God, I want my life to be all about you. And she said, you never believe all the things that God's done, but God brought me an amazing husband. I've been married. I've got two great kids and and we're involved in this church in another state. And she goes, we're, just, we're watching our kids grow up, our church. We love our church. We're just so active. She said, last year I went on my first mission trip ever. And I got to see God work in different people's lives. I'd never seen that before. And she said, Jeff, you wouldn't believe it, but I've been asked now and I'm, to go around and speak to state prosecutors. And I'm going around and I'm speaking to these prosecutors and I'm talking about forgiveness. 
And I'm talking about grace. And I'm talking about the Lord because it's only him. And I listened to her and I watched her with tears in her eyes and my eyes and all of our buddies' eyes. We were just looking at her and just going, wow. And she's just being a witness. You see, in all of our lives, man, there's things that we've done in the past. And maybe today you even feel like you just, man, I, I feel like that. I feel like I'm damaged goods. And listen, you are not. You know what? If you look at the cross, that's what the cross is all about. That Jesus paid it all. Jesus took your sins and my sins and they were nailed to the cross. And Jesus said, listen, you matter to me. You matter so much to me that I'm giving my life for you. You are not damaged goods. You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are royalty. And I've got a plan for you. It's bigger than any little plan that you have, but you trust me and you follow me and you lay down your own agenda and you walk with me. You know, whenever you're on a hike or trail, one of the things you take with you is a compass, right? And the compass, man, you set that thing to north and you just watch that, that compass and you know exactly where you're going and you follow that compass and I tell you, Jesus, on this path of discipleship, he's our true north. And you follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. You take intentional steps toward Christ's likeness. And when the world, that W, try to wealth pull you away, you don't go that way. When that E or entertainment or pleasure and all that pulls you away, you don't go that way. When that S, that Satan tries to suck you back, you don't go that way. You just keep walking. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm following Jesus. That's discipleship. And that's when God will do things in your life you can't even dream or even imagine. Are you following Jesus? Are you holding on to Jesus? Is he the priority of your life? Is he the joy of your heart? It's him. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service, and we want to encourage you to reflect on today's message throughout the week. Here at Rolling Hills, our goal is to raise up a community of disciples to be the hands and feet of Christ, and we hope that you will partner with us in doing so. How do you do that? Well, here are several ways. First, join us every Sunday, either online or at one of our physical locations. Join us as we worship our God and learn more about Him and His plan for us. Second, get connected. Check out our Next Steps page on the site to find out how you can engage with us further by serving or joining a community group. And lastly, we want to invite you to partner with us financially. You can do that online through the giving section of our site. All tithes and offerings go to support our ministries both locally and internationally, enabling us to impact lives and share God's word. Again, we are so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.